If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Horse welfare and safety are of utmost importance where humans have any interaction with horses. Within the courses at International Horse College, we only utilise methods that promote safe and humane ways of interaction between horses and humans. We only support safe methods of educating riders, handlers and trainers about horse welfare. Internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Our guest today is Joanne Varikios. Joanne's an all-round horse person who grew up with a passion for horses. She's an award-winning author, experienced horse breeder, equestrian competitor and trainer, Australian representative athlete and also a businesswoman. How are you, Joanne? I am really well, thanks, Glenis. How are you? Good, good. Now, Joanne, your favourite quote. Have you got one for us? I have got one. It's not a horsey one, but Mm -hmm. it works. For me, and it goes, whatever you can do or dream, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. And the point is, commit to doing something, start doing it, and you'll be amazed how things begin to fall in place in response. It's attributed to Goethe, but some people dispute that, so I won't (laughs) won't say who the author actually is, but I love the word. Yeah, and not specifically horse, but there's so many things, you know, that are life lessons that we can relate to horses. And I think you can learn so many things with horses that then become life lesson. So, you know, they're a good complement to each other, aren't they? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Joanne, you've always had a passion for horses. Can you remember the first time that you had anything to do with horses? Yes, I think I can. I'll tell you a story that mum told me, though, which I can't remember, but it shows how early it went back. Apparently I was lying in my cot and I was one of these precocious babies who could talk quite early, around a year old. Mm -hmm. And she said, Joanne, why are you still awake? You should be asleep. And I said, I'm just lying here dreaming about horses. (sighs) So it started very young. And I really don't know why. It wasn't like my family had horses or anything like that. But it was just there ingrained in me. And then my first real experience, I think, was I pestered my parents so much They took me to ride a Shetland pony called Frankie. And Frankie was very small, very shaggy, very ugly. Didn't really stack up to my vision of the Pegasus that I secretly wanted. But I rode Frankie. It was just bliss to be sitting on a a horse of any kind. And uh, I never looked back. Okay, so from riding Frankie, were you always going, you know, you've had a passion all the way through. How did you grow up? Because you're breeding warm blood. You know, you've always had that horses. But you also, you wanted to be a bareback rider in a circus, you know, run away and join the circus. Did you ever do that? Did you ever join the circus? Did you ever do anything like that? I wanted to join the circus. And with my first pony who I owned after pestering my poor parents more for years and even writing notes and hiding them in my dad's pharmacy, they please buy me a pony so that customers would find them and pester my parents too. But I rode that. Um, pony, a little piebald mare called Beauty. I rode her bareback whenever I could, and I used to practice standing on her and that thing. 
But uh, I was really lucky some years later with a different pony to go to a school near Brisbane with a woman called Phyllis Murphy. Her name is Phyllis now. And she had the Phyllis Murphy Academy of Riding. And she had been classically trained in Europe and including riding at the Spanish Riding School in Vienna. And she had us all vaulting and had a proper vaulting roller. And so we were doing you know, headstands and uh, jumping from one side of the horse to the other and doing the scissor kicks and uh, saddle rolls and all that sort of thing. I thought it was just marvellous. And I always had a good power to weight ratio. So I was quite good at it. And that, I think satisfied that urge to be the bareback rider finally mm. once for all. Yep, yep. Talking about a power-to-weight ratio, I'm going to change it around here because not only were you riding and competing and doing stuff at all, but somewhere in there you got involved in weightlifting. What happened there? Well, I had Ada uh, at this stage. She was a thoroughbred mare and I'd put her in foal to the warm blood imported Danish trichina called Voluta. And she was my only writing at the time. And when she was about six months pregnant, I became less confident or happy about riding her as hard as I had been. We'd been you know, jumping and all sorts of things. So I thought, I'll do something else with my time. And I started going to the gym. And in the gym, I you know, got stronger as you do. And when you're a beginner, you improve very quickly. And somebody said to me, you're very strong. Why don't you go in a powerlifting competition? So I said, what's a powerlifting competition? So they told me it's these three different lifts, squat, the bench press, the deadlift, showed me how to do them. I'm already doing bench press and squats as part of my training anyway. And they said, there's a competition on Saturday. Why don't you go along? So I did. And I ended up breaking all the local records that was in the ACP at the time and narrowly missing qualifying for the nationals. And so I thought, I'll train for it a bit harder. So I did, and I ended up going to two world championships and breaking national and Commonwealth records, and I had a great time with it. And then my mare had the foal that grew up. I started and the foal again, and I gave up. That was about a three- or four-year career. And then the mare had the foal, and I started working again with both the mare and the foal. And by the time the foal was old enough to ride, I thought I would call my powerlifting career over. And I retired from that sport and got back into to riding more fully again. Now, tell me what the foal's name is. So the, that was my first foal, and yeah. it was Highborn Powerlifter, who was my <laughs> stallion. My, and yeah. I really badly wanted a filly. Okay. So what did I get? I got a very culty colt. <laughs> Okay, but but you had that name. You know, I always wondered about that name, about the powerlifter name. Oh, I see why yeah. you asked the question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, yes, it uh, made a lot of sense on several levels. Yeah, yeah. Now, Joanne, if someone wants to work in the horse industry, okay, tell us about the core skills or character traits that they need to work in the horse industry. I think everyone would answer this question differently, but what's coming to me is, First of all, you need an open mind and an ability to make it up for you. So what I'm saying there is take all the opinions and trends and styles and everything else into account, but then decide what sits best with you, what works best for your horse, and take it from there. Then flowing from that, I'd say a lack of what I call know-all-itness. We've got to keep learning all the time. The fatal words are, I know. 
because every horse is different and often you don't know. And the other thing is, even if you know the horse, every day is different for that horse. And finally, the ability to remain calm and kind, even when you're at the limits of your own strength and patience. And you're right about everyone answering that differently. That's why I keep asking it, because everyone does answer it differently. Mm. And I think there's so many different niches within the horse industry and so many different people that you can work for that an employment with one person isn't going to suit, but employment with another person is. And it's for our listeners who may have, you know, may be looking at working in the horse industry and they're going to have different skills or different ideas or different things that they'd like to focus on. And, you know, they can then then say, right, well, and a lot of people say an open mind. Not all, but a lot do. But it just means then that they've got to think, well, I've got to have an open mind to work in the horse industry, to work with horses and, and know that every horse is different. So I think it's important that I keep asking the question and it's great that we keep getting different results. doesn't mean that anyone's right or wrong. It just means for that particular situation, that's the best things for those, you know, best core skills and character traits and that's that person's opinion. So I, I enjoy asking that question. I like this question too. What's the best thing about working in the horse industry? Ah. Probably everyone says the same thing in this one, and that is horses and horse. They say, yeah, horses first, but then it's sometimes other things as well as to yeah, complement so that. Mm. I'll say horses and horse lovers, like yeah. minded people. For example, on the recent Australian Horses Association National Championship Tour, which I toured around Australia for three weeks in February with, uh, horses classifying horses. It's like the show that comes to you. So yeah. it's a national show, but the judges go to the horses. Mm -hmm. And it was just such a pleasure to see new horses meet new people who have the same passion. And also, it's great to check out many different types of horse properties. This will be of interest to your listeners too, because everybody interprets paddocks and stables and um, wash bays and things differently. And the other thing in terms of like-minded people was I got to spend three weeks with a living equestrian legend, Jenny Lauriston-Clark, and that was an amazing opportunity for me mm, that mm. wouldn't have come about if I wasn't involved in the horse industry. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you would have learnt plenty from Jenny, you know, just having casual conversations would be great. Yes. Yeah, it was yeah, tremendous. Yeah, yeah. What about, you know, you talked about Jenny. What about other people that might have influenced you? Uh, there are, are so many, Glennis, but I know we've got a limited interview. So <laughs> first of all, I'll start with books. I think all writers are readers and yes. I love reading and I have read hundreds of books, some influential, some quite novelly or, you know, teenage girl at meets horse kind of books yep. and learnt a lot from all of those. But in terms of people, and I'll just keep it to, to Australians, I was really lucky to have an old ex-jockey and racehorse trainer, a man called Les Waterson, who used to ride the mighty Burndra in his Toowoomba races. Mm -hmm. And years after he retired, he took me under his wing and he let me ride his lead pony when I was about eight years old. And he was one of these uh, horsemen of few words, but he had great skill and I learned so much hanging around his stables. And then I had a couple of brilliant pony club instructors, Jan Taylor and Sylvia Manning, if there are any... Toowoomba contemporaries listening. 
And R.M. Williams was a great mentor to me on trail rides around Toowoomba, and he taught me to sew leather. Mm-hmm. And under his watchful eye, I made a pair of leather saddlebags. And mm-hmm. then, of course, with those skills, I could do my own saddlery repairs later on. Yep. I've mentioned Phyllis Murphy with the lunging and vaulting. Pat Pirelli helped me to reconnect with the way with horses I had as a kid, but I had lost a little bit. I think I over-intellectualized some things along the way. And then I had lessons with people like Wayne Roycroft and uh, Edgar Lichtwark. It's hard to narrow it down, so I'll stop there. <laughs> and if people are thinking about the R.M. Williams, I wonder if that's related to any of the R.M. Williams with the boots. Yes, that is exactly the same R.M. Williams. Yes, yeah. that is the one. And uh, <laughs> he was famous for getting started in his leather business and salary business with those boots. And what was interesting about them was they only have one seam. That was an innovation. Yeah. Okay. Joanne, what about horses? You've got Powerlifter. Have you got any other horses that you think have really influenced you or has he been the most influenced? I think he's certainly the latest and in many ways the greatest mm-hmm. influence. But my first pony, Beauty, she mothered me like a foal, but it was really tough love and I scored some well-deserved kicks and falls uh, as well. She taught me, I think, the fundamentals of being a horse and how to relate to one because I was a little girl. I was nine when I got Beauty. Yeah. Absolutely fearless, absolutely committed to being with my horse and nothing else. But I learned stuff from Beauty like if your pony gets out and is running up the road, grabbing her by the tail will not make things better. <laughs> Ouch, yes. Yes, yes that's uh, a good So, lesson. you know, uh, I think there are people who think, oh, my horse loves me and would never hurt me. Well, I learned very early on that your horse can love you just as much as you love it, but it's still a horse and it will react if you do the wrong thing. Yeah. And, um, yeah, then there was Powerlifter. I bred him. I was there when he was born, trained him, started him under saddle, stood him at stud, and he taught me all about stallions and then some. Yep, yep. What do you think your proudest moment's been? I think probably back in 1989 when Powerlifter passed cult selection Mm -hmm. with the Australian Warm Blood Horse Association. It was a really proud moment because he scored nines for his free movement and also for his free jumping, and he was the premium cult of the intake And up until that day, he'd never jumped free because it was before I had an arena or any nice facilities. And so all our free jumping in inverted commas, uh, that training was done on the lunge. Mm -hmm. And once he saw the jumping lane, he put two and two together and was a star. So I still getting now remembering it, actually. Yeah, yeah. Joanne, what do you think, thinking about where you are now, and you just said something about the facilities, you know, that you didn't have the facilities there that you've got now. Thinking about where you are now, what do you think has been your biggest challenge? It may not be to do with the facilities, but, you know, just thinking about what has been your biggest challenge. I think it all does tie in, actually, because I said before I was hoping Powerlifter would be a filly, but he turned out to be a cult, and he turned out to be a rather special cult. So he was the biggest challenge in a way because once I realized that he did have stallion potential, I decided, okay, if he passed cult selection, I would keep him as a stallion. So that meant that all the facilities you need for a stallion, which are a little different from what you need for mares and geldings, and there's a a financial aspect to that. In terms of horsemanship, he was very culty. He was very intelligent, had a lovely temperament, and he was also very big. 
But being Australian, he just presented me with endless challenges. And every time I drew a line in the sand, you could see him just rubbing it out, you know, <laughs> playing mind games. And it took a long time to truly work as a team with him as the leader. He was happy to work as a team if he was the leader. But uh, so we had the conversations. And in the end, I could, for example, hand serve mayors with wearing a halter and working to voice command. So I really didn't need the halter. Yep. But, uh, obviously, you keep it on because uh, there's safety issues there. Mm. That didn't happen overnight, but it did happen. And it was a tremendous learning experience and a challenge met, if you like. Yep, yep. What would you say to someone else who may have a mare, may have a colt, that's thinking about keeping it as a stallion? What would be your advice to them? First of all, is the horse good enough? Is it up to mm. quality? And I wouldn't rely on my own judgment for that. And I think a lot of people do, don't they? You know, they get a colt and go, oh, it's a colt, it's okay, I'll have it as a stallion. So to ask, is that horse good enough? is a really good question and uh, as you say not just relying on your opinion because you went up against you know people like Jenny Lauriston Clark had to tell you or you know people like that like going around and an expert saying this is going to be a good enough horse to represent this breed yeah yes and it's important to Glennis to ask that question about your mare should I even breed my mare not mm, oh yes. she's doing nothing in the paddock and she's lame so let's put her in foal you know, that's not the way to go about it. It is, is this animal of a quality that I would be prepared to see his or her worst fault passed on in future generations. Yep. And you're still going to get wild cards and throwback things. And, you know, genetics is a fascinating subject all on its own. But one tip I got from somebody years ago after Powerlifter, but uh, which I've subsequently enjoyed sharing, is look at your horse as if it belongs to your worst enemy. <laughs> and try and pick all its faults apart then and you'll get a much more objective view of what its strengths and weaknesses are than if you just say, oh, it's my horse, I'm used to it and I love it and I'm going to keep it entire. Now, I like that. I like about as if you're trying to pick the faults rather than looking at it to see how beautiful it is. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, there's yeah. stable blindness and you've just got to guard against it. As uh, Lynn Crowden, who runs Woodlander Stud, which is a very big and successful stud in the UK, said, I judged uh, with her one year. She said, train your eye and then learn to trust it. Yes. But yes. the important part is training it first. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now to do with riders, to bring a colt, you're showing a bit, you're seeing people with stallions and handling stallions. What's a problem that you think that people might, could learn from if they did happen to be in the situation where they were had and not even stallions but just young horses that they were doing things with what's a common problem that you think two things popped into my mind so I'll just get rid of the first one yeah. first and that is if you're out with a stallion and nowadays they have their green discs so yes. people are supposed to know their stallions just be aware that people there are people who don't know what a green mm -hmm. disc means or that stallions have special drives and needs, shall we say, and they will do the most amazing things like wave their mare under your horse's nose. And I even had um, a leading powerlifter once at a country show and he stopped suddenly. We were about to go into the ring or come out, I can't remember which, and he just stopped and he looked backwards over his shoulder and I said, come on, walk on, and he froze 
And I looked back and there was a kid in a stroller holding a big oh. handful of his tail oh, no. while the child's mother was yeah, having a chat with her friend. And I sort of said, excuse me, you know, could we have our tail back? Wow. And, I mean, that was just so terrifying. I was thrilled to bits he did nothing, but it could have ended so horribly. Mm-hmm. And people, oh, sorry, she said, and, you know, grabbed the kid's hand away and kept talking. So, wow. So, yeah, be aware that people won't necessarily respect your stallion's need yeah. for personal space. Yes. But the big thing I think that I have observed is people need to be more consistent. So... Whether you're at home or whether you're at the show, when you ask a horse to do something, continue to hold that line. Um, there are people who understand the need to be consistent, but so many who don't. And as a result, their horses are confused about what is required. Like, am I allowed to rub on mum in her white jodhpurs mm. when she lets me rub on her when she's in her shorts at home? Mm. And the handlers get frustrated. That's just a small example, but there's dozens. Um, the handlers get frustrated without knowing why the horse will obey one minute and, and resist or do you know, what they consider the wrong thing the next. Basically, at the end of the day, the horse is a mirror of our competence and our consistency. So be consistent is the big one. Yep. Joanne, I want to talk about a book for our listeners to complement their training And I'd like also to talk about your book. But before we talk about your book, have you got another book that you would recommend to listeners to complement their training? Well, I do. What I think is as much use as a training book is a really good book on horse diseases and ailments. I found one particular book very useful, and if it's still in print, got it here on the shelf, but it's called A to Z of Horse Diseases and Health Problems. And it was, it's written by a vet called Tim Hawcroft. Because I look on, you know, there's a number of forums on Facebook, for instance, that I follow, and people ask the same question about how to treat this or how to treat that or what do we think XYZ is. I think it's much more powerful if you can take a book off the shelf and have that authoritative reference and say, Oh, yes, here under skin diseases, you know, it looks more like rain school than like ringworm or like mm-hmm. lice or, or whatever the case may be. And getting a quick answer rather than a hundred uninformed opinions with the greatest respect to the people who write into these forums. Some, yes. some of them yeah. aren't always on the money. Yeah. So, well, some of them do it from their own experience, whereas you get a vet who not only has the experience, but they've also done years of study into that and um, they'll consult on a professional level. And, you know, people are people are very helpful and they're always trying to help. And I think it's just in our nature, you know, a lot of people are coaches and teachers and they want to be. I mean, you're a coach, you know what it's like. You want to help people. But, yes, sometimes I think you can help someone but within your limited knowledge of the situation. Yes, exactly. And yeah. everybody's knowledge is limited, but, uh, yeah. you know, a specialised horse vet who's gone to the trouble of relating photographs and texts and, mm. and things, mm. I think, is a great resource. So yep. rather than recommend, oh, this or that writing book, that would be my tip for an addition to your library. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, tell us about winning horsemanship. Well, it's called Winning Horsemanship, A Judge's Secrets and Tips for Your Success. Okay. And I specifically wrote it to help the people that I was 
talking about a moment ago with the consistency issues in particular. So there's nothing else quite like it available and it's it's for people who want to do better than they they have or mm-hmm. to get that winning edge. But winning doesn't have to be about ribbons and uh, trophies and things. It can equally be about having a, a gorgeous, harmonious trail ride with your horse, just enjoying it at liberty or whatever you want to do. So my definition of winning, I've actually encapsulated in a little poem, which I could share with you if we've got yeah. time. No, I think do that. That'd be good. So I wrote it really to help turn fear and confusion into skill and confidence. So that's what winning horsemanship is about. But it covers what to feed, how to feed, how to train, how to teach your horse to learn, Mm -hmm. which is a concept that doesn't always get taught, and how to prepare your horse to meet the challenges in life that it will inevitably see, like dogs and bunting and you know, plastic bags and things like that without stressing it or or going too far in any one direction. Yep, yep. All right. Now, Joanne, have you got another book on the horizon or what are you looking forward to? Yes, I actually have. Um, in fact, just this morning, a reader phoned to say that she was enjoying one. She asked if there were more in the series. It's <laughs> a nice idea, a series. But I was excited to share with her that I have started working on another book and that will be an edited compilation of interviews with interesting horsemen and horsewomen from around the globe. Some of them will be famous and household names, but others will be people working in their own way in very, um, very different contexts. And I've already recorded interviews with people in Greece, Italy, England, and of course Australia. So mm-hmm. it's shaping up nicely. Good, good. All right. And we want to talk about your next interview. You're going to come back. And we've already talked about when Joanne comes back next time about a copy of her book being available. So people will just have to, if they listen to this, if you go to horsechats.com slash Joanne Veracruz 2 or just go to horsechats.com and search for Joanne, you should be able to get it. If that interview is not available, it means the book's not available yet, but um, we'll talk about that in the next interview, Joanne. Now, Joanne, meanwhile, if people do, would like a copy of your book, how can they contact you? Probably through my website is the easiest, mm-hmm. and that is www.winninghorsemanship, or one word, .com. Okay. okay, and the other thing is too that those details will be on horsechats.com slash Joanne Berikios. Now, Joanne, before we go, would you be able to just summarise your philosophy of horses into a message for our listeners? Definitely. So I promised you that the poem, so just let me share that Please. quickly first yeah. because yeah. It's, uh, it's part of my philosophy and it goes like this. It says, the horse is not here to reward your ego, to compete with you, to punish you, to control you. The horse responds to who you are, how you feel, what you think, what you do. The horse is here to enable you to learn how to be a better you, and that is a blessing. That's what I mean by being horsemanship. Yeah, yeah, I think that's good, and I think uh, we publish that as well. We'll put that on the on your page at horsechats.com slash Joanne Verikios. I was going to say the the second part was um, you asked about the philosophy, which... Oh, that's right. You've given me the poem and I was so excited about that. I forgot about the philosophy. Yes, please go on with the philosophy. 
Okay. So as an author, my, I have a three-pronged philosophy and it goes like this. Be honest at all times, write as well as you can and finish what you start. So I think that translates quite well into a three-pronged horsey philosophy and I would suggest something like this. Number one, be honest, kind and patient at all times. And by kind and patient, I don't mean insipid and passive because you often need to be brave and assertive with finely tuned timing. Mm-hmm. And number two, do everything as well as you can. And that means learn, 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 as well as looking after your own and your horse's physical, emotional and spiritual fitness. And three, work with what the horse offers you and always find a good moment to end the lesson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's... Uh... That sums it up very, very well, Joanne. Thank you. And thank you. And, and you know, I always did wonder how powerlifter got his name and I knew you're a powerlifter and I didn't realise it was such a short, you, you know, such a short career for you to have done so well. So I'm glad that I know about that now. And um, oh, thank you. Looking forward to talking to you again and I'm sure that the listeners will be as well. Well, I enjoyed this very much, Gladys. Thank you for having me. That's okay. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Okay, bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses, or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 